Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the College Basketball Bonanza. Not quite our last episode in January, but we're very close to the end of this month and moving into February, a key month for pretty much everyone trying to get their resume exactly how they want it. I'm Nicholas Hodel. Dominic Stern, as always, is alongside me. And we're getting to the point now, Dom, to where Saturdays are for college basketball and pretty much college basketball alone. It is fantastic stuff. Yeah, well, next Saturday is the Farmers Insurance Open, so that will be on the TV. But, yes, you're right. College basketball, I mean, we were just talking about this a minute ago. I sat down on my TV at 10 o'clock Mountain Time yesterday, and I was basically sitting there until the end of the Missouri-Tennessee game, just watching college basketball. It was incredible, and the games all day were so damn good, and I I hope that's a sign for what's going to be – March and hopefully we get it this year it seems like we're going to get it I know we'll talk about the the schedule for what March Madness is going to look like in a little bit but man it was awesome uh this Saturday yeah it absolutely was and it was every time slot pretty much had an extremely fascinating game fantastic stuff all day long we're going to try and recap what happened this past week throughout really the entire week and that starts way back on Monday with uh Baylor, Kansas, big one. Baylor, 79, 77, rather, Kansas, 69. And what was a game that it was very interesting, at least uh, if you look at it from an overall perspective, uh, Baylor seemed to just control it for the most part all the way through. Uh, the win probability graph would give you a Baylor near lock throughout the entire game. And, and I think that is something very fascinating. But if you look at what Kansas did later on in the week, it was uh, – a loss to Oklahoma on Saturday. Baylor had some problems with Oklahoma State for a while, but eventually blew past them. And really, to me, Texas is the only team that is keeping the Big 12 from being a runaway in favor of Baylor. It is very fascinating to watch, really. Um, just the way that Baylor is handling their business, even when things get challenged, and they always find a way to step in it when they absolutely need to. It is very fascinating to watch. Yeah, and I actually thought Kansas played very well in this game. And, you know, obviously Baylor, they have that insane defense and a very good offense as well. But Kansas was able to shoot 48% from the floor, 50% from three. That, that That's about as good as Kansas is going to do. Now, Baylor did force 15 turnovers on Kansas, so maybe that's where the problem came in. But Kansas, they, they hung around. Uh, they were never, like, close but they're always within like six to seven points. And I think that speaks to what Baylor is capable of doing. Cause we all know Kansas is a good team. Uh, this week did not show that, but we all know what Kansas can do. So the fact that Baylor was able to just hold them off and never allow them to creep back in and tie it up or anything, I think speaks to just how good Baylor is because they're just able to control the game. Then of course they, uh, they ended up losing the second half uh, thoughts and prayers to anyone who, who had Baylor minus nine in this oh. game. Absolutely brutal. Oh, uh, I know a lot of people who had that, but that's that's why we don't gamble, Nick, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. You will not be seeing me gambling any money anytime soon. And I think the guy uh, on, the, on the sideline is going to have some nightmares for the rest of his life just thinking about that. Um, but, but real quickly to touch on the Kansas-Oklahoma game uh, from Saturday when we are talking about Kansas- um, first off, major props to Oklahoma. The Sooners, 
if they're not ranked, something is wrong here, to be, to be quite honest. Um, a, a really good week for Oklahoma, and that includes this win right here. Uh, now, above Kansas in the Big 12 standings, a 5-3, and three, Kansas 4-4. Four and four. Who would have thought going into the year uh, that Kansas would be in the bottom half of the Big 12 entering the last full week of January? That right in itself is mind-blowing, but a really good performance uh, from Oklahoma in this game. I don't think you really take much away from what the Sooners did, but to really go off of on Kansas, only two offensive rebounds, that's not going to really help a lot of cases there, uh, but mostly everything else, they did what they have to do, but if they would have gotten a few more offensive rebounds, probably would have been a more interesting game here. No, and David McCormick only being able to play 16 minutes and only grab two rebounds doesn't help out their case. Marcus Garrett actually had a really good game offensively, which is not something that we normally say a lot. He's obviously known for his defense, winning defensive player of the year last year. He had 21 and 12 yesterday. So certainly a good performance from Garrett, but no one else really stepped up on this team. And a player that we normally like to look at on offense that dictates how they did offensively is Christian Braun. He's their best three-point shooter. He played very well against Baylor. In this game, 0-5 from the floor, 0-3 from behind the arc, only two points. That will not cut it. And like I said, I still think Kansas is a good team. I think their ceiling is extremely high. I think there's a couple of teams, them, Creighton, and I forget. I was texting my friend the other day, but Kansas and Creighton have insanely high ceilings, and I don't think we've seen them meet them yet. We know they can get there. It's just will they? Yeah, and, and even if you go want to go back to Christian Braun, you know, sometimes low-scoring games could have some other contributions elsewhere. You only had a re- one rebound and one assist. So that's not really going to help anyone's case right there if you're not really performing to your uh, expectations. Going back to a game on Monday, a upset, uh, St. John 74, UConn 70, a game that you know, when you want to re- really look at things was uh, – an interesting one pretty much the whole way. St. John's found a way to really get over the hump later on in the last few minutes, uh, but a really extremely good upset win for St. John's. But for UConn, probably not the best loss you want to give up, especially since that's at home. No, and I had UConn ranked at 16 on my rankings this week. I'm going to have a hard time ranking them this week. I might sneak them in at the bottom just because I know how good they are, but you could tell they're missing that presence of James book night. It didn't necessarily show in this game as they did score 70 points against St. John's shot 40% from the floor and 36% from three point land. But it just felt like whenever they needed a basket, they couldn't really get it. And they're the best rebounded team in the big East. And they didn't out-rebound St. John's, who they are a much bigger team than. It just felt like when I was watching this game, St. John's played harder, and they wanted it more than UConn did. And unfortunately for UConn, they really needed this win, given the fact that the Xavier game on Wednesday got canceled, and then they lost to Creighton on Saturday, which, again, we'll talk about, and I would point out the same thing. They just didn't have that guy they could go to to get that back, to get that basket. And they're going to continue to struggle Without Book Knight, he seems like he's going to be out for another two or three weeks. So that's not good for UConn. 
And while we're on the subject of UConn, their 74-66 loss against Creighton on Saturday, 18 offensive rebounds for UConn. They still couldn't get the job done. I think that is very telling. Uh, Creighton from the free throw line, 20 of 32. So while not the best performance, they got to the line and they got there pretty consistently uh, throughout the course of this game. I think that was a, a big key uh, for Crane. Even if they would have made a few more free throws, this game would have been well out of sight. And it really just shows that UConn now, 4-3 and three in the Big East Conference, 7-3 and three overall. They are going to have to do some work to uh, get back in the eyes of, of many, like you were talking about with rankings. And let's make something clear. I don't think they will be ranked in the, in the AP poll uh, come Monday. But for me, when you look at a team like UConn, and for my situation, particularly in the rankings, so many teams had an opportunity to get into my top 25 that are right there in that cups. We're talking about the 28 to 31 or 32 area, and they completely blew it in, in my eyes. So that, that, for me, is also going to have to play a factor in there as well, is that you had teams that could jump them that just blew it, really. And that's going to be something that is going to be very uh, interesting to see where that ends up when we get down to that. Let's move on to a game from Tuesday in which Alabama completely shot the lights out of the entire city of Baton Rouge. 105-75, to a new SEC record of 23 three-pointers made. They were chucking some threes up later on in that game. So 23 of 43, that, the percentage could have been so much higher uh, simply because they think they were just chucking up from three just to get the record uh, really there. They were really cooling down. But I think what's going to go unnoticed by many is LSU is five of 26 from three. That is never going to help your cause, even with 17 offensive rebounds. So you really got to factor that in as well. Just when, you, when the team shoots like what Alabama did, I don't think there's going to be a lot of, of, of stopping, especially John Petty's eight of 10, uh, Joshua Primo, six of eight, Javon Quinterly, six of seven. There's no stopping that. Yeah. In, I'm going to be completely honest with you, Nick. I turned this game off. Wow, it was just, really? it was just too, it was too big of a blow. There are other games on in this time window. I, I had to watch something else. All credit goes to Alabama, and I mean, we know LSU doesn't play any defense, and that, of course, showed up in this game. But LSU had a terrible week. I mean, Kentucky scored like 84 against them, and LSU dropped two games this week, one at home to, I'd say, their rival, to 30, the Alabama. And I don't know how high Alabama's ceiling is, but they've reached it, and they are so damn good. This team is Final Four caliber for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. With the, with, and when everything gets clicking, this is a potential. And that, right, quite frankly, is dominating at their absolute best. Now, I don't think we'll see a three-point shooting performance like this the rest of the way from Alabama. But if, if that is the case, watch out to the rest of the SEC and the country. That is a darn good performance. Elsewhere in the SEC, Florida 75, Tennessee 49. And Tennessee had, was, had an, was another team in the SEC that had a bad week. They lost to Florida and then losing to Missouri on Saturday. And just speaking on Tennessee, 
they still have the third best defensive adjusted efficiency in the country. Uh, but this really put quite the dent in, in that, uh, really, uh, just allowing Florida to, especially in the last 10 minutes, do what they want, really. Uh, just not a good week at all for Tennessee, but a big performance for Florida and a big performance for Missouri, both of whom outside my top 25 this past week, Missouri is definitely going to be up there. I'll be debating on Florida. Don't quite know if they will find a way in there, but they are definitely going to be right in that debate for number 25. Yeah, I was honestly surprised that Tennessee stayed at three. I mean, I just think that speaks for how good they had been because this defensive performance against Florida was not very good. It, it was better than their offensive performance. I mean, their offensive performance was pathetic in this game. And then against Missouri, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, it wasn't good as well. But they have to find a way to just be better offensively. I mean, they shot 29% from the floor. I mean, Tennessee can win shooting 30% from the floor. They're one of the few teams that can because they play so well defensively. But that just was not one of those nights. Three of 18 from three. And here's a whopper for you, Nick. 12 of 25 from the free throw line. Ouch. That is uh, hashtag not good. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just like, what do they have to do? I mean, Yves Pons had a bounce-back game against Missouri. He's going to be fine. But some of the other players also have to step up. Viscovi, he's their point guard. He have a very good game. Two of eight from the floor, one of six from three. I said at some point, you got to stop shooting threes if they're not falling. And then Victor Bailey, one of 12 from the floor, oh, of six from three. I mean, come on. With five turnovers, that's just terrible. So Tennessee, they, they were terrible in this game, and they weren't much better against Missouri. They, they did play a lot better against Missouri, but Missouri had just a lights-out shooting game. So I still think Tennessee's a good team, but it, it – this week made it very clear who the best team in the SEC is, and the tide is rolling. Yes, it is. And if you want to look at the damage to the metrics uh, for Tennessee since Sunday morning, um, mm -hmm. they're down 13 spots since Sunday from number six, number 19 in Kempom. And most of their damage was taken in the offensive metric. 111.9, uh, the adjusted offensive efficiency uh, last Sunday morning. This Sunday morning's recording, it's down by two whole points to 109.9. So a lot of damage taken in that particular category. Purdue, Ohio State on Tuesday. A great performance from Purdue in a 67-65 victory and a huge one at that. Uh, a really good performance from really the players that they had to get the performance from. Uh, Travion Williams at 16-7. and seven. Uh, Sasha Stefanovic, who's, who's going to be out for a good period of time with a positive COVID test. So that'll be very interesting to, to see how Purdue carries on without him for the next little while. He had 15 in this game with four rebounds. A great performance from Purdue. And that's the kind of performance that is going to elevate you into a good position. They were 6-3 and three in Big Ten at the time. They did drop a game against Michigan on Friday, 70-53 uh, to 53 at home. But, so a mixed week for Purdue. But if they had performed a little bit better against Michigan, they're right up there in my debate for 25. That's how many teams are in that category of just trying to slot a, a, a spot in there. I think Purdue, what Matt Painter is doing – they are right in there. And if you look at the Big Ten outside of Michigan, 
Purdue is right in the mix uh, to really get maybe even a double blind in the Big Ten Conference Tournament. This Purdue team has proven that they can play with pretty much anyone in the Big Ten. Yeah, and then just to emphasize how good this win was, then Ohio State went on the road and beat Wisconsin later this week. So it was certainly an impressive win. Trigon Williams had a very solid performance, 16 points, shooting 7 of 13 from the field. He is so good. Uh, he's been obviously better than anyone could have expected out of him. And then Jaden Ivey with the game-winning step-back three-pointer, uh, he got 15 points in this game, shooting 50% from the floor. So really impressive overall performance, 10 of 17 from the free throw line. Maybe you can improve a little bit there if you're Purdue, but they just shot better than Ohio State and smart play. This is very good coaching for Matt Painter, fouling up three at the end of the game. You make Ohio State miss the free throw and get the rebound and put it back in and tie it. Fantastic coaching, fantastic execution from Purdue, and they 100% deserve this win down by six at halftime, pulling it out on the road. And then one more game uh, from Tuesday, Philadelphia 76, Satan Hall 74, and a game that Philadelphia, they had come back from a lengthy time away, so maybe not surprised that it was as close as this, given the Wildcats' time away, but I think this really just proves that when you, when you do come back from an extended period of time off, in the way college basketball is, you can't take any game uh, for certain because this is a game that, you know, if Villanova had their normal schedule, I think Villanova is beating Satan Hall pretty comfortably. But as it was, a very tight game, basically throughout, really. And I think that's just props to both these teams for putting in a good effort. Villanova, uh, you've got getting that win, coming off of quarantine. That's huge for the Wildcats, and it showed in the performance also against Providence. They were able to use that game time they picked up to get a nice win against Providence at home, a team that they should be beating by a good amount, and they did. So, overall, good Philanova week. What's your thoughts on this game from Tuesday? Uh, rough game to return from, for sure, because playing a team like Seton Hall is just not fun. We've already talked about Sandra Mamaskaishvili several times on this podcast. He balled for sure. Missed out. He could have had the game-winning shot on uh, the full-court pass to uh, to try and take the lead with 1.5 seconds left. Mamu certainly pushed the defender. Wasn't called, so you know it's it's only it's only cheating if you get caught, Nick. And uh, he went up to catch the ball, and it just went straight through his hands. If he catches it, he's standing just past the free throw line with absolutely no one behind him. He could have turned around and easily put the ball in the basket for the win. Instead, it went through his hands. So did the upset victory against Villanova. So Jared Roden also got 19. Miles Kale with 11. So Seton Hall played fantastic in this game. They are certainly a tournament caliber team. But what stood out to me was just the impressive performance from Colin Gillespie in this return. 22 points from him. Shooting 8 of 8 from the free throw line. That's what you want from your veteran point guard. That's what Villanova has lived on these past couple of years is having those veteran point guards and Jermaine Samuels, 20 points off the bench. Jeremiah Robinson Earl did not have a good game by any stretch of the imagination. You knew that that was an off night. That was just him getting fresh. Villanova is the third best team in the country. And I think there's a pretty solid gap between uh, 
Gonzaga and Baylor, and then Villanova, and then Villanova and the rest of the pack. Maybe and Michigan's then, in there. Yeah, and then, and then Villanova's win against Providence. I mean, Providence had knocked off Creighton on Wednesday uh, in, in the game prior in a 74-70 contest. Um, that really, when you look at some of the numbers, you know, both teams could have shot a little better from three. Uh, I thought Providence did a decent job from the free throw line, 19 to 26. Uh, Set so the turnover ra- ratio one to one, something that Creighton couldn't do. You know, decent stuff here from Providence, and that's a big one, uh, especially for Creighton. That being a home loss, we'll have to monitor the, the net rating of Providence, see what, what, what quadrant that is going to fall in. Uh, but good stuff from Providence, not so much from Creighton. Yeah, and they, they, I said on the, the show that. I wouldn't be surprised if Providence does this because Nate Watson is a dominant center. And we know that Creighton doesn't have anyone down low that can really guard him. And that's what happened. Unfortunately, I take it just because I know how good Creighton can shoot the ball. And it was a, it was a game that Providence needed, especially considering that they did lose to Villanova later on in the week, but you got to give a lot of credit to Providence here in this game. I mean, Watson had 29 points. But I want to talk about Creighton for a little bit because, you know, coming into the season, we were all talking about Marcus Zagorowski and how good he was going to be. But lately, it hasn't been Zagorowski doing the dirty work for this team. Instead, it's been Damian Jefferson forward for them. And he's been super impressive as of lately. Uh, He's only averaging 13 points per game on the season, but he's been super impressive as of late. He had those 26 points here against Providence. A couple of other really solid performances, double digits in his last five outings. He's been a key player for them. And like I said, Creighton's one of those teams that has just an insanely high ceiling because they have players like Jefferson and Mahoney playing really well right now. And Zagorowski hasn't been doing great. You can look at it and say, oh, he had 17 points in this game, but he shot four of 11 from the field. That's just not good. And once he gets going, once Bishop really starts to, get going because he's been okay as of late and we all know Ballock can shoot the ball once he gets going Creighton is such a dangerous team because they can score on like any team in the country I think they're fine they showed it in uh in their game uh against UConn uh and they also didn't shoot the ball well in that game so I think they're fine they're probably going to fall a little bit in the rankings and that's completely understandable but Providence deserved to win this game. Uh, Nate Watson was incredible. Let's move on to a crucial game down the Atlantic 10 from Wednesday. State Bonaventure 70, VCU 54. Watching this game, the way St. Bonaventure come out in the second half, dunk after dunk after dunk. I mean, I thought there was going to be a backboard coming down. St. Bonaventure completely... I think they almost shocked VCU how they came out in the second half. VCU, great first half, and all of a sudden, St. Bonaventure comes out and says, I will do you one better in the second half. Unbelievable from St. Bonaventure. And I think this game is so important as well. If you look at where the matrix is right now, the all-important bracket matrix, the compilation of many, many bracketologies out there on the internet, on Saturday it was 75 brackets. And St. Bonaventure... I think is going to be the eight tens uh, last opportunity for an at-large bid that is for an at-large bid uh, that has not come via St. Louis. 
I think that St. Bonaventure is going to be the team that is going to have to carry the A-10's hopes for that at-large bid, especially if St. Louis comes out of quarantine and starts struggling. Then all of a sudden, it's going to be St. Bonaventure. And I think that the Bonnies are going to have to be the team the A-10 really stakes, stakes their hopes in for that at-large bid. Yeah, and Richmond's right there, right behind them, one spot behind them on the bracket matrix. They've certainly struggled as of late. Really disappointing season so far from them. But yeah, St. Bonaventure, I think, has that potential to be that last team. I 100% agree with you. I mean, to go out and be down 15 at half and then win the next half by 31 points is nothing short of incredible. And like you said, it was just dunk after dunk. And you're like, I don't, you, you, just, you just kind of sat there and you're like, how does VCU even stop this? And the Bonnies needed this win and they got it. Good for them. VCU is still a player in the 8-10. Uh, I, I think they can certainly make some noise out there too. But I agree with you. St. Bonaventure seems like the second best team in the conference right now. Yeah, and a couple of things. First of the Matrix, I don't think takes into account Richmond's loss against LaSalle. So I would almost expect is- Richmond to fall out um, into the other at-large's category. And second, you know, I got to give a massive prop to the play-by-play guy for really making that sound like an exciting game. You know, there was, you know, no crowd. I don't think they were piping in a lot of noise. And he made that game sound like the most exciting game of the day. So big props to him uh, for his efforts on the call. That was fantastic. Uh, Thursday's Rutgers game, Penn State 75, Rutgers 67. I really do think that Rutgers is going to get completely chewed out of any consideration for the NCAA tournament, which is such a shame because this this Rutgers team, they just can't get it together. I mean, I don't know what it's going to take for this Rutgers team to finally get a win, but what they're doing right now is it's not working at all. And really, I said, I think last week it was going to be Rutgers and Indiana that are going to get chewed out. And it's very much looking like Rutgers are going to get chewed out. Indiana's yet to be seen after their upset win against Iowa, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But, I mean, what does Rutgers have to do to get it together? I don't know, Nick. I'm going to be completely honest with you because it's been their offense lately, and I thought they actually had a pretty solid offensive performance against the Penn State team that likes to slow it down. Rutgers shot 44% from the floor, 41% from behind the arc. Their free throw shooting, you know, it's pretty lackluster as usual. Six of 11 from the line. You want to make that eight or nine for 11 instead of six. But they played better offensively. Uh, They did get out-rebounded by 13, which is not something you like to see. Only turned the ball over 12 times. So they, I thought they played pretty good on offense, and defense hasn't been as big of a problem for Rutgers, but – it just seems like I don't know what this team can do now at this point. They're definitely on the outside looking in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's uh, really understating it, to be quite honest. I think Rutgers is going to have to almost do a complete flip of really what, what, what they like to do. They're going to have to do something completely different. But Indiana's upset win against Iowa on the road, 81-69. Indiana really blew away from Iowa in, in the second half using a 23-3 to run to get themselves in position for the win first off, which I thought was extremely impressive. Once again, Tracy Jackson Davis, Rob Finnessy doing really good work in this game. 
I really think that Indiana, I mean, they were a team that I thought was going to get chewed out, really, just because that, you know, they have been winning the games they're supposed to win, uh, losing the ones they were supposed to lose, though that Wisconsin game a few weeks ago was one they really should have had. And then they go out and, and win this one, which completely different state of the IU program from one Thursday, the loss against Purdue, to the next, a win against Iowa by the exact same scoreline. So a completely different turnaround, and I think that's very impressive. They're going to have to keep doing that because after Rutgers on Sunday that they were recording this, it's Michigan, Illinois, and Iowa again. So they got a lot of work to do. But I really think if Indiana can, you know, get these upset wins, you know, didn't have to be every single upset win. Don't get them all. But if you can get them every once in a while, you are basically putting yourself in position to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and you're now one of three teams to beat Iowa. And the other two are Minnesota. And then, of course, the best team in the country, Gonzaga. So impressive performance from IU. They caught IU, they caught Iowa on an off night offensively. You can't not ignore that. But Hannon went 0 of 8 from three-point land. Stop shooting the damn three-point ball if it's not going in. It just wasn't his night. And he's been so good for them all year. It's hard to criticize him, but when it's not going in, it's not going in. And CJ Frederick, he he got hurt in this game, only played 13 minutes. That's obviously not good for him. Uh, Luca Garza really just carried the team, and we haven't really seen him do that this year. He's obviously had his insane offensive performances every single night, but there's been guys around him that have also done well. But only one other Hawkeye got in double-digit points for them. That was Joe Wieskamp with 16. So Garza, fantastic game for them. But Tracy Jackson Davis definitely feasted down low. Uh, Race Thompson didn't do much. I don't know what happened there, but uh, IU just played a complete game. We knew they were capable of doing this. I just did not expect them to do this against Iowa. Absolutely. And let's move on to a game from the Mountain West on Thursday, the second game of the Colorado State-Utah State series in which Colorado State, they got the win, 84-76, knocking off Utah State from the undefeated Mountain West camp, snapping their brilliant win streak. And now it's Boise State alone on the unbeatens at 9-0 and 13-1. They do have a COVID problem, so maybe they won't get to play for a little bit of time. But big, big win for Colorado State, really. Now 11-3. Wins against San Diego State, one. Utah State, they got, they, they got a win against. I mean, certainly Colorado State, well, I don't, don't think they're there yet. They continue to rack up wins and not take a bad loss. There is a slight chance, and I mean slight emphasis on slight, that Colorado State could be in consideration with a, with a high volume of wins. I think they're an at-large team at the moment. I mean, their three losses have certainly been tough losses, one to Utah State, one to San Diego State, and I forget who the other loss is to. But they've, they have a very sneaky good offense. They can score from the three ball. And they also, they've run a really small lineup that, that gives a lot of problems to defenses. Like Utah State has a really good defense, but they're able to just keep them small. And I mean, I mentioned on the last show, Utah State has a very lengthy team. So you'd think that uh, a smaller team like Colorado State would pose some problems for them. But in this game, they just came out and just shot the lights out. Uh, Nine of 20 from three, it's 45%. from the free throw line 
This is how you win conference games on the road, people. 25 of 29 at the charity stripe. Absolutely dominant performance there. Utah State, they got some work to do. Uh, we know that they're not that good of a three-point shooting team. It definitely showed otherwise in their series against San Diego State. Certainly a good team. They're, I think they're comfortably an at-large team, especially with their two wins against San Diego State. But Mountain West, it's wide open for whoever can be the two or the three or the four seed because this conference has four really good teams in it. Yeah, and I think Colorado State's metrics will – uh, keep them from a lot of bracketologists putting them in there, but I certainly think that Colorado State has the potential to get in that position for sure. Uh, the one game from Friday, Michigan 70, Purdue 53. Good performance in Michigan. They're going to be off for at least the next two weeks. The state health department has shut down all athletics at the University of Michigan with cases of the new variant of COVID-19 in that athletic department. And it's not just basketball. Other sports have, have that issue as well performance to go off of but i do think we are going to miss michigan really um for the, for the next couple of weeks that they have proved themselves to be extremely efficient extremely good in the big 10 the big 10 leaders um and when they do play again you take away the the, the four games against penn state indiana the northwest michigan state they're likely to be coming back february 11 against illinois at home that could be a very interesting game especially if that is the game that Michigan returns from their shutdown. Yeah, and I think you're going to find a lot of people putting Michigan inside their top fives, and I think I'm going to do that as well. Certainly an impressive performance. Like I said, Purdue went on the road, beat Ohio State. So for the Michigan to go to Mackey, a place where just teams go to die, and they put up a really good offensive and defensive performance. 14 turnovers, you'd like to see them cut that down a bit, but the 14 assists to go along with it are certainly fine. Got out rebounded in this game, but that doesn't really matter when you win by 17. 43% from the field, 40% from behind the three-point the three point line, and 82% from the charity stripe. Once again, that's how you win conference games on the road. And then Purdue only shot 30% from the floor, 16% from three. They don't shoot the three well, so you just got to limit them down low. Obviously, that's tough with Travion Williams, but Michigan did a great job having Hunter Dickinson certainly helps out with that and just a dominant performance for Michigan. And I think people are really starting to take them seriously as a championship contender. Yeah. And you know, that Michigan Illinois game should it be, should it be played? If, if that is the first game back, that's going to be fantastic. Absolutely. Especially given that some teams come off a quarantine have struggled. Others have absolutely excelled. So that will be a very intriguing question for Michigan to have to answer. Uh, we're going to move on. I think we have all the games covered from Saturday I wanted to cover. So we're going to move on to our NCAA tournament to talks. And earlier this week, the NCAA tournament calendar, as it is restructured, was announced. The first four on Thursday, March 18th, and then the first round for two days, that Friday and Saturday. The second round, that's Sunday and Monday. Monday Madness. How about that? That's going to be very exciting. The Sweet 16, then the next week on the 27th, and 28th in separate slots. I love that. Absolutely love it though, that those games are in separate slots. The Elite Eight and the 29th and the 30th and the Final Four national title game, I think, have not been affected on the 3rd and the 5th of April. Just your initial thoughts on that. I think it's a decent move for the NTAA. You know, get the teams in there. I'm sure there'll be all kinds of testing protocols, rigid testing protocols, 
uh, from all from all the teams that go in there. It's almost going to really be those teams all go in Indiana on Monday. They're going to be quarantined and tested all they want. I think there's going to be no shortage of tests in the state of Indiana given to those 68 teams that make the NCAA tournament. Should it still be 68? The way it's looking, it is going to be that way, but things could change on 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 absolutely no notice as we know uh, in in the current landscape of the pandemic. This, it's a good move from the NCAA. I think that they are experimenting with different days. And I think that they really have to. I think that some of the moves of the calendar are really forced, really. But I absolutely think that it's going to work really well in the long run uh, for the NCAA. I mean, this is sort of the excitement that we needed, a firm calendar. And now that we have it, I think the excitement can really be on without any qualms, really. I, I think that people can go into it feeling really excited. Yeah, and I had said on previous podcasts, we think that I'd say like, oh, this is a potential second week or weekend team, depending on when the scheduling comes out. That is, of course, what it happened to be. You know, it's going to be the same amount of gaps in between games. You know, like if you play on Friday, you play on Sunday, that's that's going to remain the same. So I think that's a good thing. And I like this. You know, the games are now standalone, which I think is cool. You know, we're getting the opportunity to see those games because, I mean, like, for me, every time I had to watch March Madness, of course, it conflicted with my baseball schedule. And that's why I was so excited to watch March Madness last year because it just wasn't going to conflict with my baseball schedule that I didn't have anymore because I, of course, was now in college, not playing baseball. And, of course, to not have it, I was devastated, but now I only have one TV in my apartment here. So for the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, I now only have those standalone games, which I think is fantastic. Uh, Get to be able to watch those games. Obviously, for the first weekend, I'll have my computer with multiple games on. That's not going to be a problem for me. So that's different. But the standalone games, providing a lot more eyes on March Madness, I think that's a very good move by the NCAA. And like you said, a lot of testing, uh, hashtag capitalism, but uh, I think this is going to be a very exciting March. And I'm glad that, like you said, we have dates. Yeah, we have firm dates. It seems like these are going to plan. And I, I know this is really a uh, an issue that was caused by, by the pandemic and them having to restructure things. But I love the fact that, that first round is Friday, Saturday. So we're going to get all those games on TV and the four different networks and not to worry about, you know, things on Thursday. I, I think that, I mean, it probably will not become the norm, but that is going to be very fun that, especially for me, if no classes on Friday, I mean, that's just a personal thing, but I mm-hmm. love that. Uh, and, and with there being firm dates, we can now really start to get into early resume talk and really start to, you know, dig into some of these bigger issues that we're going to be seeing. And I, I've got several questions listed here. And we talked about the Mountain West earlier with, with Colorado State getting that big, big win. I really think that the conference is in possession, position for something special. Um, certainly right now with what Boise State is doing, San Diego State, they can continue on the, tra- on the track they're on. They can certainly get in. Can the conference get a third or maybe even a fourth if things go their way? I think you certainly can't. I think San Diego State, I said this on the last podcast, the tougher part of their schedule is gone. They played Colorado State, Nevada, and Utah State to start the conference schedule. A lot of people would consider those to be the third, the fourth, and the fifth best teams in the conference, which, of course, San Diego State 
in Boise State being the top two. So just a brutal start to the conference schedule. And then we saw on Friday, San Diego State disrespected the troops, defeating Air Force 98 to 61. That was unfortunate to see there. But Boise State, I think they've certainly proved that they're the best team right now in the Mountain West. They've had a very easy schedule to start. I mean, they haven't played any of the good teams in the Mountain West. Their next two series are against Colorado State and Nevada, who, like I said, are two of the better teams. So that, that's going to be a big test for them. Uh, if they pick up three of the four wins, I think they're comfortably into the tournament, barring a total just fall apart. And Utah State, one of the best defensive teams in the country. Ken Palm has them at 12. And I think they're a really good team as well. Their next three series in the Mountain West, UNLV, Fresno State, Wyoming, I'd expect them to go 6-0. Ken Palm agrees with me on that note. And if they do that, I think they are comfortably in. So Colorado State's really just the last remaining unknown. Ken Palm has them at 74th in adjusted efficiency. I think they certainly have some games to pick up. Boise State this upcoming week, like I mentioned. So that's going to be tough for them to get some wins there. Games are at home, so that'll help them. But then after that, Wyoming, New Mexico, uh, a conference game against Northern Colorado, Nevada, and Air Force to end the season. Ken Palm has those all as victories. That's obviously not going to happen. But if they can avoid dropping two or three of those games, I think they're in a good spot to then put themselves in position to where all they have to do is win one or two games in the Mountain West Conference Tournament to put themselves in March Madness. Because I think that offense is very good, and I think they belong in the tournament. And, and really, I think some other conferences are dealing with this issue of cannibalization. And the Mountain West, to this point, hasn't had that issue really affect them. And should that stay the same, I absolutely think this conference will get three bits. Now, well, I'll talk later on how that could very much be to the disadvantage of a couple of other conferences. But the way the Mountain West is going, you know, Boise State, you know, in there, that first nine on Saturday's Matrix, there will be some, some fluctuations going, going in. But certainly they could jump up to impossible eight uh, for, the, for many midweek uh, bracketologies that, that come out. You look at a team at San Diego State, they're staying the course. They got an easier schedule going forward. So certainly they could rise up the this, this, this seating ladder. Uh, Utah State and Colorado State, you know, while not quite in the seed, Utah State, I certainly think will get right back up there, uh, especially if, you know, Richmond continues to fall down. I think they will be out of the next matrix whenever that um, gets published. Um, even a team like Pittsburgh, I think, will fall out as well. I certainly think Utah State is in great position to rise back in. So I really think the Mountain West is going to have a fantastic showing of things. Maybe even a great showing in March as well. We'll definitely have to see. The next big question I want to address here, um, certainly 75 um, brackets. Most of the top six seeds, um, top six is in the one through six seed lines are in all 75 brackets, a few other teams below as well in that distinction. Is there a team among those that are in all the brackets that have a lot of work to do in order to stay firmly where they are? Clemson, I'd say with their recent performances, and like you mentioned when you, you corrected me when I was talking about Richmond, Clemson is not accounting for their just absolute beatdown against Florida State. 
and they've shown their defense isn't quite as good as we thought it was earlier on, and their offense is nowhere near as good as we thought. So I think they're going to drop significantly. I can already see that someone has them as a 12 seed. I see a couple of 11, 10s, and 9s on here as well for Clemson. So a lot of people already saw them on the bubble, and then when you get beat down by Florida State like they did, that really puts them in a load of trouble. So that obviously stands out to me. A uh, couple of other teams. I mean, West Virginia, I guess. They, they've done a good job so far, but uh, without Shibway, I'm curious to see how they do going forward. It's been a little bit since they played. So I think that's a little interesting for sure. And they they played Texas Tech this week in a very important game, which of course we will have on our pick'em. So that's crucial for them. Outside of that, I think every other team is in a good spot. I mean, maybe a team like Minnesota, Big Ten team, they could get uh, worked in that aspect as well. We saw them get crushed uh, by Maryland on Saturday. So that was a big loss for them. So I, I think that a lot of these teams are in a fairly good spot. Yeah, and and they and it's they are there's a reason why they are in all of the 75 available brackets on. Saturday's bracketology. Uh, I think you pretty much hit, hit the nail on pretty much everything. I mean, Clemson, I think that right now they're probably going to go down to like a seven or even an eight, and they're going to be dropped off of a good number uh, of brackets. Uh, same thing for UConn. They'll, they'll go further down the list, uh, and, and they will certainly be uh, lost in, in some of the brackets as well. Uh, Chisholm hit on a few teams that – aren't quite in all the brackets, but are very, very close to that accomplishment. Uh, you look at a team like Virginia Tech uh, in 74 to 75 on, on Saturday. Uh, they pick up a loss on Saturday. They'll be going down. They have some work to ensure their safety. Uh, how about LSU? 74 to 75 brackets on Saturday. Bad loss on Saturday. They'll certainly go down. I think could all the way go down to a 10 slot, to be quite honest. They have a lot of work to do to ensure their safety in the NCAA tournament. And I really think that it's going to be every team from that seven line to that nine line um, outside of Florida. Good consensus of they'll all be in. Um, obviously, outside of Oklahoma State right now with the NCAA tournament ban. Obviously, I think everyone in the country is hoping that that gets lifted. But as it is right now, certainly you have to really worry about that. Uh, I think there's a good chance that you know every team there has work to do. And I really only think that it is those with 75 brackets in uh, outside of Louisville and outside UConn on the eight line that are safely in right now. So you certainly get into that. Uh, meanwhile, on the bubble, um, certainly uh, plenty of opportunities for these guys over the next few weeks to get the quality wins they need to get in order to get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, but for those on the outside looking in of Saturday's matrix, is there a team out of that list that really has uh, the most likely chance to make the tournament? I like Michigan State. I think they're a good enough team. They can pick up enough wins in the Big Ten. We've already seen them do that. Utah State, like I mentioned, I like them as well. Syracuse, they picked up a nice win on Saturday against Virginia Tech. This, of course, is not counting them for that. I think that'll help them as well. Uh, any other teams? I don't really think are. so. I mean, I, I think yeah, I don't pretty think so. on. Yeah, I, I really do. I, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, Michigan State, Utah State, I think certainly could go in. 
to the loss of Richmond and, and Pittsburgh and p- those two in particular. Um, it's shocking that Duke's in there, to be quite honest. I, I don't think anyone. I also think, it. and I think Duke is capable of doing that. They haven't shown me anything as of recently, but they put up a very good performance against Louisville. And I think they have enough talent to do it. I don't think they will, but in a weaker ACC, I mean, they could, they could string off nine of their next 10 and that would certainly yeah. put them and, 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 and they're right up there and then there. So, you know, that's certainly a, a good point as well. I mean, Maryland down there, their big win against Minnesota. I think they could go in some more brackets if there'll be enough to get into the next matrix as in, I really don't know, but you certainly could have an opportunity. Uh, and you mentioned Syracuse. Syracuse loves living on the edge. They love living yes, they right. Do. Yeah, they love living right around that line. And you know, certainly if there is an ACC team that can get back in there, certainly they're they are a, a quality candidate as well. So of those teams, I definitely think we pretty much hit it again. So and now, Nick, you always got to remember if you're Syracuse, even if you get in, you still have to watch a two-three zone. So it still sucks. Absolutely. Uh, so now. For the overall bubble situation as of right now, uh, team or conference, what is the most precarious situation as of right now? Well, the ACC is certainly interesting because you have teams like Louisville, you have teams like Duke, you have teams like Clemson that had a good start to the season or had very high expectations that just are not being met. And we're really looking at Virginia Tech, who isn't really even that uh, secure. We're looking at Florida State. We're looking at Virginia and maybe North Carolina as well. They put up a very good performance against NC State this weekend. I will add that they're, they, ACC, we've talked about it, isn't as strong this year, and it's really being showcased here. Uh, Pitt, they got beat at home. That was just not a good win at all or a good loss. And then I also like the A-10. Uh, I mean, like you mentioned, the A-10 is just cannibalizing itself. It seems like right now it's just St. Bonaventure and St. Louis there as well. So I think those conferences are the most interesting to me. I think the most precarious situation is the American Athletic Conference. Outside of Houston, there is no one else that is standing out for that for a second bid. Uh, and obviously the second bid could come by could come by way of a bid stealer should the upset of Houston happen in, in the conference tournament. But you know, all the teams that are four and two um, that are right up there against Houston, SMU doesn't have a quality win at all. And they got crushed by Houston in the first meeting. And then Wichita State is sort of in that same boat as well. The two opportunities they had at home uh, to get that quality win in non-conference, they lost both of them. And as such, I mean, you look at the Kempom members, their most quality win is against Ole Miss, but is that really a quality win, especially on the road? I mean, maybe, but I really don't think so. So I really think that if this conference is going to get a second at-large team, it's going to have to come from one of those two teams, and they are going to have, and I really don't think this, this is much of a, um, I really don't think this is much of a, I'm trying to find the word, um, Anyway, I don't think that both of those teams are legitimately given looks without beating Houston. And I think that's just sort of the way it's going to be. Um, great for Houston. They're beating up on pretty much everyone outside of Tulsa in that one loss there. But 
if one of those two teams don't get that win, that quality win against Houston, I think this conference could very well be a one-bid league. And that is a shame given how this conference is typically right, right around three or four bids. A couple of years, 2015, 2017, with only two. But there's certainly a league that on typical years can get around three bids. I don't think they'll do it this year. I really don't. Just too many uh, teams that just haven't really proved themselves. And as such, I think there's a legit possibility that the American Athletic Conference could be the conference that is hurt the most by the rise of the Mountain West this year. We'll have to see where things end up with that. Let's move on now to our weekly awards. As per usual, our team of the week, but major of the week, and our ind- individual performance of the week. I'm going to start with my team of the week, and that's Oklahoma. Statement sweep of the Kansas schools. I think anyone would um, certainly not be as smart to uh, not rank Oklahoma. I think that they absolutely have earned that right to be in the top 25. They've done what they can do this week. They're now above the Kansas Seahawks in the Big 12 standings. Superb week. Yeah, they had a great week. I definitely considered them. I wrote down two other teams. I thought you'd take one of these two, but Oklahoma certainly is a good pick. Florida State, they went 2-0 this week. They ran over Louisville and Clemson. Two very impressive victories for them. And a team that just flew under the radar, and I don't think they're a tournament team by any stretch of the imagination, but you got to give credit to Oregon State. They went 2-0. They beat USC earlier this week. And then they won on the road against their rival Oregon Ducks. Both those teams are tournament teams, and Oregon State just beat them in the same week. So maybe we could see a run like we saw from Arizona State last year where they just streak off a bunch of wins against good teams and all of a sudden put themselves in position to be a tournament team. I don't think that's going to happen, but Ethan Thompson and Oregon State are playing well right now, and I had to give a little shout-out to them. Yeah, and how about that, too, from Oregon State, what they've done I think that shows another example of the Pac-12, the conference of cannibalization. I think that's been proven over the years. Next up, our mid-major of the week, and I'm going to go with Toledo, the Mid-American Conference. They had a nice little rebound from their overtime loss against Akron, that being their first conference loss. A couple of decent wins for Toledo to put themselves now at 8-1 and one in the Mid-American Conference. First off, doing the deeds solidly against Central Michigan on Tuesday and Saturday. A close win against Kent State, but I think many people would consider Kent State one of the better teams in the conference, even if their record isn't quite showing it. So they, they have done what they have to do now to put a little bit of space between them and Akron, especially as Akron still with those couple of losses. Nice little four-game winning streak here for Akron, uh, but they're carrying in. But so far, they are still a game and a half behind Toledo for the Mid-American Conference first place in the standing. So... Toledo, great rebound. I hope you don't get mad at this pick. They're from a conference. It's not really a major conference, but they're certainly not that caliber team in the American 10. I picked LaSalle. They went 2-0 this week. They handled their business against St. Joe's, and then they won at Richmond, which, of course, is why we have been talking about Richmond not being a tournament team when you and I both argued that they could have been ranked in the preseason poll. Certainly been a disappointing season for Richmond. That, of course, is none further emphasized at the hands of a LaSalle victory. Shout out to LaSalle. Yeah, and I think that's certainly why, you know, you talk about these, you know, higher mid-major conferences and you talk about why they have seemingly no room for error 
look at Richmond. I mean, I really think that for at this point for Richmond, it's just one air too many uh, on their resume. And, and really, props to any team that's going to beat them. But now you've lost at Hosford at home and LaSalle at home. I don't think there's any way Richmond can get in uh, on an at-large basis. And our individual performance of the week, uh, mine is going to be Justin Champagny against Duke on Tuesday. Fantastic performance. 31 points, 14 rebounds. The points actually a career high, a career high five blocks, 12 of 15 from the field. And you got to go back to 2009 for the last Pittsburgh player to have a 30 and 10 game. That was Sam Young. And, you know, it's been such a long time since Pittsburgh has seen a player like Champagny. And he has certainly put in a fantastic year as of this point. And to do that against a Duke team, not Duke teams of the past, but still to put in that kind of performance against Duke, I certainly think that's a night he'll remember for quite a long time. Yeah, and he's one of two career players to put up 30 points, 10 rebounds, and five blocks against Coach K at Duke. You know who the other player is, Nick? <sighs> Gotta be a long time. Ralph Sampson. Woo! That's some good company for Champagne. I don't, I like, Champagne had a great week. I'm not, I'm not discrediting anything Justin Champagne did, but I don't know how your, your player of the week wasn't Jared Butler. Right. 30 points yeah. in the win against Texas. And he sparked, I don't want to say their comeback, but their, uh, their late surge against Oklahoma State. He had 22 points in that game shooting 65% from the floor in those games and over 50% from three-point land. I think that if Baylor goes undefeated on the season, I think he should be National Player of the Year. Otherwise, it's probably going to be Luca Garza. Uh, speaking of Luca Garza, Luca Garza watch. Uh, he had 17-10 and 10 last Sunday against Northwestern. He only played 24 minutes because Iowa just dominated them, so you can't fault him there. And then in their loss to Indiana, like I mentioned, he carried the offense in that game, 28-12. and 12. He's now at 27 points, nine rebounds on the year. Certainly the front runner for national player of the year, but I think Jared Butler, if he continues to shoot the ball well and Baylor goes undefeated throughout the regular season, I think he has to be national player of the year. Absolutely. And, you know, you can certainly make the argument that Gonzaga has about three or four candidates that would, that would all be good fits for national player of the year. But with the way Baylor is doing um, a near runaway, if not for Texas right now in the Big 12, you make a very good point there about Jared Butler. So our weekly predictions, uh, I really, I'll, I'll be honest. I was, after the midweek games, I am not surprised that you took the lead in the weekend, uh, to be perfectly honest. And I think that's, I, that, I mean, it's fine, you know? You make, I had a good weekend. Yeah, I mean, you make these some of these picks a week in advance. I mean, Clemson was absolute uh, awful. I mean, Rutgers continued to not play well. I mean, I had a shout with Duke, but... Again, just the late game, you know, not really in, in Duke's Matthew, favor. So Matthew Hurt fouled out. Got to give a lot of credit to Chris Mack. He just continually attacked uh, Matthew Hurt off of the screen and roll. And then eventually, Carlo Jones, who had a fantastic game, got some contact with Matthew Hurt on the arm. And that, of course, drew the fifth foul on Hurt. And then from that point on, Louisville, I don't want to say ran away with it, but they, they won it comfortably. Duke yeah, also I mean, just going to make I mean, a shot. Far from a runaway that game, but. You can yeah. really make the argument that that was the point where it was, all right, that's it. It's over. And mm -hmm. I, honestly, I honestly thought that when Furt fouled out, I'm like, that's it. I, I don't, I didn't think Duke had, had a route back to that. They certainly showed up the fight without him. And you got to get a lot of credit there. But Louisville, again, 
Good stuff. So, and by the time Sunday is over, I'm sure that lead of yours will be up to two games. So I got a lot of work to do. We're well, gonna... it, it's it's a tie game right now at the under eight timeout of the first half. So don't don't give yourself too much slack. I mean, the way Rutgers has been though recently, I mean, who knows? Right. Um, so just so let's move on over to, to our prediction. We're gonna start off on Monday, Texas Tech and West Virginia, a couple of teams that need to get a win if they want to try to compete for, I would almost think second place really in the big 12, you know, really what Texas tech has done in the last few weeks. I really think the red Raiders are primed for, to really put themselves in a standout position from the rest of the big 12 pack. And I think they, that this will start with this game here. I'm going to go with Texas tech. Nope. I'm going to go with West Virginia at home here against Texas tech. Uh, I think the Mountaineers are going to be rested in this game and they're going to stifle that Texas Tech offense. I'm going to take the Mountaineers in this one. All right, we're already starting to be different. We'll see if that'll be a theme. On Tuesday, Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, props to what Oklahoma has done. If they do it again against Texas, we're going to have to really start looking at, at, at things from a different lens because that'll be a big sign that Oklahoma is exactly, what, exactly the team that can really pull off pretty much any game they want, but you got to go with Texas the way they have been. I mean, Texas, I mean, they have proven themselves to be consistently up there, at least top 10 in the country, if not top five in some eyes. you got to go with the Longhorns here, and I think the, the, the horns up from you, as, as, as I see it, gives the indication here. Yes, sir. Hook'em. And we'll move on straight away. Another Tuesday game, uh, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, and you got to get Pittsburgh a lot of credit. Um, I really think that the Panthers are doing some things that perhaps a couple of years ago would have been unfathomable uh, with, with, that, with the way that Justin Champagne is performing. But I think that North Carolina is starting to turn the page on what was a not-so-good start for the Tar Heels. I think they're starting to turn that page, and I'm going to go with North Carolina here. I'm going to as well go with UNC. Very dominant game against UN against NC State last uh, Saturday, and they finally realized, hey, we're bigger than just about every team in the ACC. Why don't we like use that to our advantage and just play bully ball? And I think they'll be able to do that against Pittsburgh here in this game as well. Creighton, Satan Hall on Wednesday. Creighton, they have done some good things. I mean, the, the win against UConn on Saturday obviously proves that. And I think that Crane's going to continue putting distance between themselves and the rest of the conference for second place. Give me Creighton here. Nope. I'm going to take cool. Seton Hall in this game. I think that Seton Hall has certainly played well over their past couple of games. Tough loss to Villanova. But Seton Hall, they're that third best team right now in the Big East standings. Now, I think UConn's better than Seton Hall. But I'm going to take the Hall on this one at home. Send your mama's Kaiash Philly. Currently, the I'd say he's probably the Big East Conference Player of the Year favorite right now. Ooh. I think this is a big opportunity to cement that case with the win over Creighton. Absolutely. I mean, you make some good points there. And Satan Hall in Saturday's bracket matrix, a 10 seed, the last 10 seed in 70 of the 75 brackets. That would certainly put him up, a, I think, an entire seed line, to be quite honest. On Thursday, Oregon and UCLA. Um, UCLA's loss against Stanford now no longer unbeaten in Pac-12 play, but I certainly think what the Bruins have done, I think is better than what Oregon has been able to produce, and I'm going to take the Bruins here. Yeah, I'll take UCLA as well. Really tough loss. They, 
you know, they lost because so people don't understand how we pick our alternate games. So Nick, he, he picks the game off our alternate list and he asks me when a game gets canceled, how, which team I'd like to take. And Nick forgot to ask me when he scheduled the UCLA Stanford game on our, our, our pick them. And I would have taken UCLA because I think everyone who's listened to this podcast knows how highly I think UCLA, but he, he forgot to ask me and the UCLA I lost. And I, I blame Nick for that one. I mean, and my, in my defense, I had that game highlighted on, on the docks for like a good few days, but yes. And in, in the typical tradition, yes, I did completely blew the blew it on that. So thankfully it wasn't a differing pick that completely changed the landscape of the right. Rest. Yes. Um, Villanova and UConn on Thursday. I think it's going to be a, a very good game if UConn shows up and plays well. Still, I don't think that's going to be enough. I like Villanova here. I do as well. UConn just doesn't have that go-to scorer without Book Knight, and I don't think you can beat Villanova unless you have a guy like Mamushkaishvili drop over 25 points, and even they still didn't beat Villanova. I think Villanova's Head and shoulders the best team in this conference. I think they have a good chance to prove that this week. Iowa, Illinois, then on Friday, a big rebound opportunity for Iowa. I think they'll get it. I think Illinois, while they are still a quality team, I don't think that they are that top 10 team that many people were thinking at the beginning of the season, even for a good few weeks into the season. I think they are far from that, actually. They got a lot of work to do to regain that position. I'm going to take Iowa here. You're kidding. No. Oh, no. my God. You, you know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I'm going to take Illinois here. I don't think Iowa has a player who can stop Io DeSomu. I really don't. And obviously, this game is going to be extremely high scoring. Ken Palm actually has Illinois winning this game along with me, 83 to 82. So he thinks it's going to be high scoring as well. But I just don't think anyone can stop Io DeSomu on that Iowa team. I think that him... And Kofi Coburn can put Luka Garza in foul trouble if they attack the rim early. And I think that could be a reason that Illinois wins this game. We're going to move on to our weekend picks from that. The Big 12 SEC Challenge is coming up next weekend. So a lot of excitement there. And we got, uh, I got five games listed here from that Big 12 SEC Challenge. And we're going to start with Alabama and Oklahoma. I really think that these are both teams that, Maybe people didn't expect to be as good as they are, and they have sort of risen from that. And I think that free throws will decide this game. And in that case, I got to go with Oklahoma. Now, if Alabama shoots the lights out again, I could be completely wrong and completely off the board. But if this is a close game, as I suspect this will be, I think this game decided at the line gives Oklahoma the advantage. Yeah, Ken Palm has Alabama by one. I'm going to agree with him here. I just the, – the tide is rolling, and they're rolling so hard right now. I can't see them losing to Oklahoma in this yep. game. But yeah. Ken, Ken Palm thinks it's going to be close, so it's not a bad pick from your standpoint. Texas Tech and LSU, and I think the theme of my picks here is that I think the Big 12 is really going to give the SEC a big message outside of the next team we're going to predict. Uh, Texas Tech – I love the way this Red Raider team looks. I think that as they start to win more and more games, they will get a lot of attention on national scale to be one of the better teams in the entire country, especially in this game in particular. I love the Red Raiders, given how LSU hasn't quite looked as good 
unless they have an earlier part of the season. No, and LSU with their 132nd ranked defense in the nation Ooh. is pretty pathetic. Uh, they got to be A&M on Tuesday in my in my eyes, really. But I'm going to take Texas Tech in this game with you as well. I think Tech has certainly been impressive so far. So I predict them to lose to West Virginia, and I'm predicting them to beat LSU here. So we'll see if they do me justice here. Kansas and Tennessee, you know, the theme for me is that the Big 12 could dominate the SEC, but I think this is the one exception. I don't think, even though Kansas has played well, I just don't think Kansas has been able to, in recent games, get over the top against really good teams. And while this will require a lot of rebound from Tennessee, given this last week, hasn't quite been as good for the Volunteers. I think that they can beat Kansas. And with the way that, you know, the way things have are, are, looked, you know, not the greatest of weeks for Tennessee, not the greatest week for Kansas either, though Kansas has played a lot better ball. This could be the one game that the SEC takes that is a national implication game. I mean, this could very well be an upset pick, but I'm going for Tennessee. If both these teams went 0-2 this past week and they both have easy games to start the week, Kansas with TCU and then Tennessee with Mississippi State. So they should be, be coming off of victories going into this game. And th- this game is so tough to pick because can- I- I've talked about Kansas as a ceiling for a while. And then, I mean, Tennessee was just so bad offensively this week. I'm going to take Kansas in this game. I honestly don't know who's going to win this game, to be completely honest, but I'm going to take Kansas. Yeah, it's a very, it's a tough one to call, really, but at the end of the day, with I mean, Tennessee, they seem like the better team, even though recent performances wouldn't suggest that. Florida and West Virginia. Um, Got to go with West Virginia here, though Florida did have a decent week. Uh, again, I just think that the Big 12 is going to teach the SEC a lesson, and I think this game could very well be an, an, an indication of that. Yeah, I'm riding with West Virginia twice this week, so I'm going to pick them in this game over Florida. It should be an incredible game, but West Virginia playing earlier this week in Morgantown on Monday and then being able to stay there for this game on Saturday, I think is going to give them a huge advantage. And then the last game for the Big 12 SEC Challenge, we're going to pick Arkansas and Oklahoma State. This should be a good game uh, to, to watch. This should be very interesting. Uh, I like Oklahoma State here. Uh, I certainly think Arkansas could give – uh, the Cowboys a great challenge, but at, at the end of the day, I think the Oklahoma State, a full-strength team, should be able to beat Arkansas. Not going to go with the comfortable word, but I think Oklahoma State gets it. I do, too. It's certainly a tough game to pick because we saw how well Oklahoma State looked without Cade Cunningham, but it's like, how, how do they con- keep con- continuing to do that? Because we've seen some teams, they lose a star player, and they rallied together as a team early on. And then after a couple of games, they kind of fall apart because uh, that, that, that steam kind of falls off. So it doesn't seem like Cade Cunningham's going to be back for this game, dealing with a minor injury. I'm still going to take Oklahoma State because I think they're the better team. But the must bus, I got it this week, can certainly put together a good game and win this game. Moving on outside of Big 12 SEC Challenge for a couple of games, Oregon and USC, both teams that – certainly could be in the NCAA tournament. 
uh, pretty safe to be quite honest. Oregon, the last six seed in the Saturday's matrix, uh, USC, a seven seed, though I would certainly expect the next favorite to have USC above Oregon. However, I think Oregon will rebound here. Um, and a good rebound from a UCLA loss that I think for Oregon, uh, it will be a very close game. I still think the Ducks are right up there with the Bruins. But the question is, can they put together uh, uh, a nice string of wins together and not fall to a bad loss? Certainly wouldn't be a bad loss here, but be a great win again. I think Oregon gets it. I do too. Both these teams coming off their loss against Oregon State this week. And then, of course, they have some games this week as well. I'm going to take the Ducks with you as well. You're not going to gain a game on me from this game. And finally, Minnesota and Purdue. Uh, again, every game we've picked in the weekend is, is all on Saturday. I do think that is a first. Uh, Minnesota and Purdue. You know, this is a tough one. Uh, Purdue has looked solid as of late. Minnesota, their loss against Maryland, not ideal. But I really do think that Minnesota is still a better team than Purdue. I'm going to go with Minnesota. I'm going to take Purdue in this game. They're at home. I don't see them losing two straight home games, especially considering how Minnesota has played on the road. They finally lost a home game to Maryland of all teams uh, this time. They're not the number two team in the country. If you guys follow us on Twitter, you would understand that. But Maryland is not the number two team in the country. I think Nick knows what I'm referring to. But these are both good tournament caliber teams. And this is a pretty typical Big Ten game. Yeah, and, and it really is. I mean, the Big Ten, I mean, it's been a very interesting, interesting conference to watch. I mean, teams have been beating up on each other, but it's all been quality basketball the entire way. So that'll take care of this episode of the College Basketball Bonanza. I do believe we have one more episode in January on the very last day in the month before we started to get into February and really starting to get to a recurring theme of tournament games and you get into, you know, bubble games and crucial games for pretty much everyone in the country to solidify their resume. For Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodel. Enjoy the week of college basketball, and we'll see you right back here in the next episode of The Bonanza.